because we always have a lot of visitors. I like to welcome the visitors uh, every Sunday and kind of get you up to speed as to what we've been studying. Uh, since August, we have been uh, studying the book of Genesis. We are now in Genesis 2. Uh, now, the reason that we're studying Genesis is not just, a, well, that's a cool book. We ought to study it. been studying it specifically because, does my, does my sound sound okay to y'all? No, yes. Maybe I'm going deaf. Who knows? Um, but but the, the reason uh, we're studying uh, this, uh, this topic of cosmology, and uh, so if you're visiting, let me tell you again what it is. It comes from the word cosmos. It's the, it's the, the origin and nature of things. Um, is there a design? Is there an imprint? And that maybe one of the reasons we're so depressed, so discouraged, so kind of nonchalant or indifferent is because we don't understand the design and the significance of the design that God has created us. Now, I was reminded of that uh, this week as I was watching uh, one, of the, uh, one of the new shows. Uh, I was very uh, irked, to be quite honest with you, by one of the commentators who uh, was talking about one of the presidential candidates, and he acknowledged that this presidential candidate was, was a brilliant man, uh, but he had some dumb ideas. Uh, and it's hard for him to vote for a brilliant man if he has dumb ideas, and the dumb idea being that he actually believes in a creation. Uh, I don't know if you saw that interview. I don't name the candidate. I won't name the uh, interviewer. But of course, uh, I've learned over the years at my age that uh, if people are blind, they're blind. And uh, if you're blind, you're blind. And, and Romans 1 says the reason that you're blind is because you exchange the truth for a lie. And uh, seeking to become wise, you've become fool. Because you can't think with utter clarity. So if I wanted to ask him, uh, so you tell me, you tell me then, why is there evil in the world? You tell me why you probably went home that night after the interview and hammered your wife because uh, she wasn't doing something you wanted her to do. Or you hammer your children because you're living in fear whatever it may be. And these are important. this is an important topic in our day and age because you must understand that we're moving away. We're moving away from the idea that there's distinctions. There's God and the creation. There's male and female created Him in their image. And the loss of that, let me tell you, the reason some of you are such an utter despair and are always in a turmoil, it could very well be because you are acting off bad ideas and bad thinking. Is that a possibility? So I want you to turn to Genesis 2, and uh, we're going to look at the Garden of Eden and, uh, and uh, see that the, the significance of this place that God has placed uh, Adam out of the land and created uh, Eve from Adam. Now, we're going to get to that next, uh, next couple of weeks. But if you would, I want you to turn to your bulletin here. Now, this is God's Word. And what we have here is, I'm telling you, is not myth. What we have here is prose. It's not poetry. It's prose. It's history. At least use your imagination for a moment, okay? And let's just presuppose it is. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, 
For the Lord had, God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the, Lord, the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant and to the sight for good food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden uh, to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedulam and onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, and the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we do thank you for your revelation. Lord, we would be uh, lost in the dark without it. But Father, we also need your illumination. We need you to open our eyes and our hearts. We cannot believe apart from your grace. Uh, just like you created uh, Adam from nothing, Lord, you must uh, speak into our dead souls. And make us alive to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. To see your mercy and your grace as an amazing God who is not only our creator, but is willing to redeem all those who are here this morning who see their sin, that we are out of Eden, and we are no longer priests to serve before you, apart from Jesus Christ, but we are indeed, um, according to, to the text that we'll see, uh, coming ahead, are, are rebels. Uh, so Lord, um, I pray that you would soften all our hearts, uh, to help us understand your word and to apply it to our lives so that we might be a blessing uh, to you and to others. And uh, we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. Now, if you were to study closely uh, the second chapter of Genesis, I mean, really study it, not just skim it over, you would uh, discover... Uh, that this chapter plays a significant understanding and a place in the understanding, our understanding of the Bible. There's no mythology that's here. And since the Bible is God's word, it reveals to us the purpose of its creation, and at the heart of the purpose of its creation is you sitting in the seat, and me as pastor. That, that the head of, of his creation are, are men and women who are created in his, in his uh, image. Now, let me tell you, there's all kind of different views of history, but I'm telling you, the Bible is not what the liberal theologians call the Heil Geschitzka, which is holy history. 
But it's true history that we know why there's a creation. Uh, we know that there was a fall. And we know that the whole Bible is about God in His mercy and from the very beginning sending a Savior and that one day He will restore all things. We've seen uh, from Genesis 1 uh, in review uh, that God has created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and everything came into existence. There's not a transcendent universe that's basically what's taught by all practical intents and purposes by every class you'll go to in college. That God spoke, and when he spoke, let me tell you what happened. Time and space began. He spoke, and the world came into existence. And so what we see in Genesis 1 is that God is working. He's working. He's working his creation. And he's preparing a place for us to dwell, male and female, Chapter 1, male and female as vice regents to reign and rule with him. Man, what a great picture for us as we look around and say, wow, you know, there is hope if we're more than just um, uh, animals, if we're more than just uh, spiritual entities. Now, the other thing that we saw, if we are to understand the clarity of the creation account, is we need to appreciate the original audience. Remember how we've talked about that? I mean, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. They were written when they were in the wilderness. And he's writing to a people uh, coming out of slavery for 400 years. You understand that? 400 years. Now, what they had been taught for 400 years because there was no Bible, you understand that? Just a little bit of oral tradition that their great-great-great-great-grandfather was Abraham... But what they had been taught by the mythologies of that day was that only Pharaoh was divine. <laughs> and the reason for their existence was they were created by the junior gods who were tired of working for the senior gods. And there was about to be a rebellion. So the senior gods got together and said, hmm, let's think about this. Why don't we create human beings? And so that's what they thought. Well, I guess we were made to work. And that's all we do is work. And so there is no distinction between me and the mule who carries the stones that I'll lay. No distinction. No difference. So Genesis 1 taught them, as well as us this morning, that our dignity is, is this. And our inalienable rights that we talk so much about in our culture, in the sky. Right? our Constitution, and on the rights of man. Well, if there is no God that we can know, if there is no creator, if there's no God whose image we're created in, there is no such thing. It's an invention of man. But let me tell you why I think you're important and why there are rights and there are human rights is because we reflect the image of God. Now let me tell you this, an incorrect view of origins, okay? The beginning, an incorrect view, if it went back in the billions of years, or whatever the view is, will not lead to a life of freedom. You ever thought about how much we think about freedom and how important it is? And don't, right, don't we all want liberty? I mean, you read books to help you raise kids better. Why? Because you don't be in bondage to your children. And then you end up reading the wrong book and you get in bondage anyway. 
Uh, so we know that we want uh, freedom. But the reality is, as we look around us, don't you see? You see the chaos in your own life? And you see the chaos in the world that's around you? And you see the chaos, even if you're trying to get your family together, you've got one kid who's going off the deep end? And so we live in a world that spins around, a world that we're trying to nail things down. But you see, the only way I'm telling you that the world will ever make sense is if you believe God's Word is His Word and He lovingly has revealed to us who He is, what He has done, what has happened, and what He's going to do. I mean, you say, well, that's pretty basic. But do you live that way? Do you live by faith in what God has said in His Word, which is what caused the problem in the first place? To live by faith in what God has said. Let me tell you, the, the implications of only seeing bits and pieces is to come up with a theory. And so for Marx, the essence of man is in the idea of economics, right? Labor. Uh, the idea of the existentialist is uh, all man is is uh, an act of the will. So there's no meaning, there's no point. So what do you do? Just in, the, in spite of what's going on, you act. Uh, the way we put it in our commercials is, just do it. You've only got one life to live, live the life you choose. Oh, my goodness. Oh, people live that way. Don't you see that in our culture? Isn't that what's advertised? And so you have the commentators say, yeah, you know, this guy's really brilliant, but he actually believes in uh, creation. It's kind of embarrassing. No, we go, what's the alternative? Existentialism? I mean, what are you? I wanted to ask him. What, so what are you? You know, Heidegger, we've talked about Martin Heidegger, who, a very sad guy, he, he used the word dasein. That was his philosophy. We're just throwing out there in the universe. You know, you're born and you're cast out in the universe. Good luck. Any view of man, then the one that we find, really in the first three and four chapters of Genesis is reductionist. Do you understand that? It reduces us. It doesn't, it doesn't cause us to flourish because you see the bits and the pieces. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you that the only way that you're going to flourish is to believe the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And believe that Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the Word of God, that He was there from the beginning in John 1. He's here in our text. He's kneeling down is a true God who makes Adam and breathes life into him. This Lord Jesus Christ, who's been raised from the dead and who will come one day, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the truth. We create all kinds of ideas, but I'll tell you, it will never lead to freedom. It will never lead to a sense of guilt relieved and shame undone. And uh, some of the most unhappy people are religious people. And we'll see this in just a moment. Now, I've, I've got three points, but yeah, <laughs> you know, I, it was funny. I was going to preach three, I had three major points. But because this text is so rich, I realized I had like three or four points under every major point. And, and so, so, so here's what we're going to do the next couple of weeks, okay? This morning, in the time before we come to the Lord's Supper, I want us to see the significance of the Garden of Eden. Okay? And then I want us to see next week the significance of human beings in the garden. What is our place in the garden? And then I want us to see uh, in a couple of weeks the sovereignty of God over not only Eden but all of creation.
that we see here in our text, that, that God created things, and you had the land, and you had the garden. We'll look at that, but, but, but he's in control of the garden, but he's also in control of the chaos. So I want us to look this morning at the, the significance of Eden. Eden, a place. And let me tell you how I know that you can know that you don't really believe in Eden. That you don't believe that there really was a place. Is because you think that your sins are things that, that are imperfections in your life. Things that you need to clean up a little bit. You know, you can go to this class and that class, and maybe Abraham Maslow had it right. You know, we have all our needs met, and then we'll self-actualize at the end. And what we're going to see is, is that that's going to, to, to lead us not uh, to see the significance of the fall. And what Eden says is there was a place, and we'll see that Jesus says in John 14 that he's not going to give us peace, he's going to give us a place. Placeness. I mean, people ask me all the time where I'm from. I'm like, well, where do I live or where I'm from? I'm a South Carolinian. And uh, I live in Georgia, and I love Georgia. But there's this great sense of placeness. And so to understand Eden is to, we've got to start there to begin to understand why things are so screwed up because that was not God's intent at all. Well, before I, I feel like I have to say this. Okay, I'm going to give you three points, I promise. But, but let me tell you why. You notice I named it a closer look. I, I do have a reason I write my titles down. But the reason I wanted to, 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 to write that down is because really you have these uh, two different views of Genesis chapter 2. You have uh, some who are scholars who are less than orthodox. I hate to use the word liberal because I don't know what that means anymore. But people who don't really believe the scriptures, uh, they would suggest that what you have are two different accounts. One that was written much later and it contradicts Genesis chapter 1. Now, you have to look at that. Um, but the one of the reasons that they do, which of course I don't believe, uh, the, one of the reasons that they do is they say that there are two different names that are used for God, Elohim and Yahweh. And if, and if you've taken any Old Testament introductory class in college, they'll tell you that that's, uh, the Elohim name was, was very archaic, very early, and, uh, and it talks about God, the Creator. And then you have right there in the text the name Yahweh, but Yahweh is a name that's used much later for God, and it's the name of a personal God. Uh, and, and therefore, obviously, obviously, what you have is a redactor or somebody coming in and kind of monkeying with the account. Well, to answer that question, if you'll notice in verse uh, 4, it says uh, this. Uh, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth which they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, really, what's going on here is that those names are together because you're transitioning from chapter 1 where you have Elohim, who's the creator. But now you have the covenant name of God right next to Elohim, which is Yahweh, that now our God is a personal God. This Elohim is also the Lord. And, and so what you have in chapter 2 is kind of a, 
uh, the scoping in to see the details of what happened in the creation week. And, and so, so you have Elohim, the creator, almighty God, that everybody at some level in the back of their mind is going, there is a God that's out there. But what we learn in Genesis is that this God is a personal God. He's the God and Father of us all, as, as Paul says in Acts chapter uh, 17. But the reason we should actually believe the text is because the text is the Word of God, okay? But, but Jesus did. Uh, you remember in Matthew chapter 19 when Jesus was being challenged to pitting, the Pharisees were trying to pit him against Moses when Moses wrote a certificate of divorce? And, uh, of course, Jesus, who always is amazingly, because he's God in the flesh and knows the Scripture, is able to answer the question. Uh, but he said, well, first off, number one, the only reason he wrote the certificate of divorce is because of the hardness of your hearts. That's what he thinks about divorce. But then Jesus says God never intended it that way from the beginning. And what he does is he says, he uses chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 1, he says, for in the beginning he created them male and female. And then he goes to chapter 2. And he speaks of Adam and Eve. And that a man shall forsake his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So there you go. He has, the, he has chapter 1 and chapter 2 right nicely there together. You know, you say, why are you talking about this? Well, the reason I do is because one of the great challenges of being a preacher in a culture where every, there's a billion ideas out there, there's really only one good idea. And it's the one that God has said. Now, do I, do I interpret everything rightly? I, no, I don't. I guarantee you. I mean, that's why one of the reasons I'm going to spend more time in Genesis chapter 2. But that doesn't mean it's not true just because I might interpret it wrongly. So what are you supposed to learn this morning from God's Word about Eden? Well, the first thing that we need to learn is this. The Garden of Eden is telling us that Christianity is a historical faith. You see, only Christianity is historical in the sense that it gives us the beginning and the end. Uh, now, the materialist worldview, if, if it's uh, materialist, I, I don't know what other term, you know, you don't believe in God or you, you believe this world is, is all there is. Let me tell you what it thinks about history. Rather than history being structured by the covenant of God, you, I'm going to tell you, we'll look at this later, that's what structures history. This covenant we're going to see, and whether you understand it or not, you're in covenant with God. But the materialist says, well, we can't measure God. And so we're going to operate off a closed system. Okay, well, that's all there is that's out there. It's a material world. Now let me tell you what that does. It drives you into yourself because you know what? We were created to be in community with God and community with each other. But if the material world is all there is, then rather than being in covenant with one another, we abuse each other. We use each other. Uh, zombies, we eat each other and turn them into zombies. That, I mean, it just drives you into stuff. Don't you understand? The reason you're living in your head right now is, is the further you move away from God and His creation and one another, the more you get driven into yourself. 
the more despair and rebellion there will be. That's the material for of this. And then the other view of history uh, would be kind of the religious view of history. A kind of a dualistic spirituality. And uh, so there, there's a God, uh, but we can't really know him. But we know that we're supposed to be better people than we're supposed to be, don't we? I mean, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not religious, you still have this oughtness about your life. I ought not do that. And you break your own rules. Uh, but you see, uh, religion that gets disconnected from history is it just, just another form of be moving into yourself and away from one another. Can I, can I just say this to some of you? Because sometimes I, I wonder how much you're having joy in the finished work of Christ and what he's done in history. And so what you do is you read one Christian book and the next Christian book and you go to the, the, to the men's Bible study or you go to the, uh, you go to the women's, uh, I was going to say steak night, y'all don't, chicken salad. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, there's, there he is, uh, stereotyping. Um, we'll get to that later. Y'all can hammer me later on that one. Uh, and, but the reason we go, don't we, is because we need to really get better so we can feel better about ourselves, so that we can be better parents, so we can be feel better about ourselves, rather than just admitting you're not a good parent. You're not a good parent. It's okay. I'm sorry. But chances are, and if you think you're a good parent, go ask your kids. You'll find out later. <sighs> okay, but you see... Let me tell you what uh, the historic faith says. That God created everything. That he created us in his image. And I'm telling you, when man was created, history started, and God was there, man was never alone. He was never inside himself. He was always looking at God. And looking at one, uh, one another, Adam and Eve, they were naked and they, they were not ashamed. And there was this fellowship, and there was no shame. But let me tell you why there's a shame now. And sometimes we don't look each other in the eye, we don't look God in the eye, because in space and time, there is sin. The first uh, sin of our parents. Uh, and then uh, that, uh, what you call original sin, and now all corruption that comes from that. Come on, people, let, let's, let's, let's at least be honest with the fact that even if you don't believe the Bible, that some of the things or the applications are true in my life. I have a hard time looking at a person that I didn't do right. You know why? Because it happens in space and in time, not your head. It happens in the garden eventually. And now it happens, now that we're cast out, we're in the land. But secondly, uh, and it kind of goes along with this, Eden tells us, that we have a real place and real people. That there's a real place and there's real people. You see this in verse 8. And the Lord God planted the garden in Eden in the east. And there he put man whom he formed. You know, Jim Boyce, who uh, wrote a commentary on Genesis, and, and, and I've gotten a lot from his commentaries. But he says that when he looked up the word Eden, he was just curious as to how, uh, is it, you could call it Rogaze, Rogaze, uh, Pesaurus, whatever. Um, he said Eden was not in the section 
that was dealing with historical names, but under the section that deals with imagination. Not a place. Uh, it had uh, names like Utopia, Paradise, uh, Heaven, Atlantis, Fairyland, Dreamland, maybe Disney World. But if Eden is not real, uh, then the fall is not real. And we cannot explain why deep in our hearts we long for this place, don't we? Sometimes, somewhere out there, where I will no longer be sinned against and I won't sin against others. We long for this world that's going to live at peace, but you know what? It's never going to live at peace, and I'll tell you why. We're not in Eden. We're in the land. Now let me tell you what the Jews heard. Those who are slaves. Oh, okay. East of Eden. East. That meant that way. It was not near Egypt. <laughs> and what they also understood is that in the ancient language, you hear so much about the East, is the East always represented life because it's where the sun came up. Ah, the darkness is breaking and the light is coming. And the West always represented death because it is, it is the sun is setting and darkness is coming. And so the Jews would say to themselves, wow, that's probably, oh, the Tigris River. and the, I don't know about some of these other rivers, but you know what? Those two rivers, they're somewhere over there in Assyria or maybe in the Arabian Peninsula. But why don't we know the names of the other two rivers? I'll tell you why. Because we would get so off track and we'd be interested in where those rivers are versus the point. And the point is that when God created he created this world as good. And when He created us, He created us as holy, righteous, and happy. And we long for that place, don't we? How about you teenagers? Don't you want to go to your room sometimes and be by yourself just to get away? Put your headphones on, just sit in there and find your place to find... Uh, you know, David says, oh, that I could be a sparrow who would be flies to the corner of the roof or the bird. You ever felt that way? i felt that way many times. Oh, man, if there's just a place where I could get away from all the trouble. I mean, I remember as a kid sometimes, I, I can remember thinking, you know what, it wouldn't be so bad being a dog. I wouldn't have to do homework. <laughs> I eat somebody else's homework. You see, here's what the Jesus said. Oh, man, in my dreams, I always dreamed. I always dreamed that there was a place. And now we're going there. We're going to promised land. And Jesus in John 14, as I've already said, he says... I prepare a place for you. That is awesome. I mean, I'm a South Carolinian. Can't you tell? I love South Carolina. Why? Because that's where I was born. That's where I'm from. Let me tell you where we're really from. Eden. We know that in our bones. But because of sin, now there are swords out of Eden. And the only way back into that garden is that somebody has to pay. but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So there's a real place, and there are real people. Now, the Bible is clear that there was a real Adam and Eve. I mean, didn't we just see that Jesus believed in Adam and Eve? Can I tell you why he believed in them? He created them. And if you don't believe in Adam and Eve, you certainly are going to have a real hard time understanding the Christian faith. 
Because you see, our whole lives hinge uh, on these two men. Now, I want to get ahead of myself, but in a couple of weeks, we'll see that God sovereignly made a covenant with a real man named Adam. And so Paul picks up on that and says, oh, there was a real man named Adam, and in Adam all sin. And all those who are here this morning who are in Christ, you don't have to jump through the hoops anymore because you have been entered back into the presence of God. And guys, let me tell you the essence of what the garden uh, means here and man being placed uh, in the garden. Is, and this is third, uh, the, the Garden of Eden. Uh, teaches that man has lacked nothing for service to God, that God gave him everything, but God took man from the land. You see that he's made in the land, he's put in the garden, and it's in the garden that you have a gardener. And the gardener is the sovereign Lord. And as it were, there's boundaries to the garden from the land. And Adam and Eve were to have been a vice regents as his priests to serve our God and to expand the garden. You see, within the garden there's protection because there's the presence of God. I mean, think about it this way. When you put your kid on a playground, uh, if there's a fence around the playground, you say, hey man, go in there and have a good time. Because the law that God has given and the boundaries that he has given is not a fence to keep us in like some prison. It's a fence given to us where the good things run wild. Because he has given us those boundaries. There is no peace apart from Christ. He is now our high priest. And we are to extend the kingdom of God and bring the garden back, waiting for the consummation by us bringing uh, the peace to the world that only comes through Jesus Christ. So the Garden of Eden teaches us that we lack nothing. Everything that was there that we needed was there. God is gracious and he's good. In fact, the whole idea of the Sabbath rest, after God had created everything, he, uh, he rests what? From what? The creation. And now he creates man to work the land. <laughs> it's pretty amazing how this all fits together. But let me tell you this. If that is not your desire, you understand to live in the presence of God, to do things for his glory. I mean to do work to his glory, to be a mother to his glory, a father uh, to, to bring the, the reign of God uh, as a pastor, as a church planter, as a lawyer, as a doctor, then you're doing it for yourself. And if you do it for yourself, there is no peace. Because your security is in, and God is your creator, and he has a calling for everybody here to do. But if your work becomes your business, and you're calling, and you're trying to find significance in yourself, let me tell you what that means. You don't want to live in his presence. You got that? You want to be ignored by God. Because it's only in the garden that we're in his presence. It's only in the presence of Christ that we're able to extend the garden. What about you? Are you living in the land scratching out an existence? Or are you living in union with Christ and resting in his finished work. Hey, you know what? You don't have to go to more Bible studies to get right with God. You just go to more Bible studies to hear about the fact that Jesus has already made it okay. 
And now I can be a good mom. Why? Because I'm not beating myself up all the time. And I can be a good dad. I can be a good employee. I don't because I'm not only worrying about money. I'm trusting God. If he wants me to go bankrupt, that's okay. He's with me. That's the garden. His presence in this life. Well, I need to close because I need to close. Don't you see the parallel in the garden and the two men? That Adam was in the garden uh, and Adam had everything that was there for him, but here's the contrast. Uh, Someone put it this way, Adam, the first Adam, faced life and abundance in a relationship with God, but Jesus faced separation. The first Adam talked with Satan and he fell, and the second Adam, he spoke with the Father and was raised. The first Adam was defeated in strength, and the second Adam was victorious in weakness. Can I tell you that your whole existence, your whole eternal existence, depends upon one man or the other man, both in a garden, And one in the garden had all the abundance, but he didn't take God at his word. And you fell in him. You know what's a good sign you're not a believer? You don't take him at his word. You don't read it. I'm saying, well, if you read your Bible, you're a good Christian. I'm not saying that. But how can you know? In fact, I have people that that I've talked with about their doubts a lot. I'm like, look, I tell you what, you start reading the Bible, I'll talk to you. But until you start reading, I don't really want to talk to you. But you see, here's Adam, and you're in Adam, or you're in Christ. If you're in Adam in the garden, he sinned, and you fell in him, and no matter what you do, no covenant you'll ever, the covenant of works, it just will kill you. You understand that? God has graciously sent the second Adam, and there he is in a garden, weak and broken, saying, Father, let this cup pass from me. And let me tell you what he does. He throws himself upon the sword that were sticking out of the garden. And through his death, the heaven's gates have been opened. You understand that? And what is the heaven's gate? I'll tell you what it is. It's to have the presence of God in your life now. No matter what your circumstance. Now I want to ask you, are you resting in him? The second Adam. Man, if you're like me, you're so, you're so uh, what's the right word I'm supposed to use here? You're kind of uh, in trouble. But if you're in Christ, it's already paid for. That's the gospel. And is that good news? He's finished the work. He's raised from the dead. You're in Adam or in Christ. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit's come united you in Christ. I'm good. And now I can serve other people and extend the land, extend the garden in the land. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word. We pray that you would take it, bless it, drive it into our hearts. Father, help us believe the gospel. We cannot believe apart from your Holy Spirit. Father, I realize my own weakness, that my, that my words, I, it, that, Lord, you can take terrible sermons and you can save somebody and you can take a sermon well thought out and yet unless your spirit's moving, uh, Lord, they, they, nobody changes. So would you convert people this morning, uh, cause them to see their unbelief, that they have not believed this gospel, And that they would rest in Jesus, who's a greater than Adam, the second Adam. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.